قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Certainly, the believers have succeeded. They are on the way to success. Their success is guaranteed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises that shortly, very soon, they will succeed. And what is the success that is mentioned at the end of these verses? What is their falah? That أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ So who is the one who is successful? Who makes it to? Al-Firdaus. The one who makes it to? Al-Jannah. That is the person who will succeed. Which means that if a person doesn't make it to Jannah, then is he successful? No. And also, while we are here in this life, can we ever find absolute success? No, we cannot. Why? Because we're constantly struggling. And also remember that any success of this life, any success of this life, it is nowhere near the success of Al-Akhirah. Because the success of this dunya, what could it be? That a person gets a good job, or a person gets the best mark ever, or a person gets into all the schools that they apply to. I mean, there could be different types of success, right? But all of these worldly successes, what are they? Short-lived. They're temporary. Today you beat a record, tomorrow somebody else will beat you. But success of the akhirah, what is that? Making it to Jannah. الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ So what are those actions that lead a person to Firdaus? What are those ways that lead a person to Firdaus? What's the first thing that we learn in these verses? If you look, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ What's the first thing? Iman. It doesn't say that certainly people who have these qualities only, who do these kind of actions, will succeed. Because there are many people who have 100% focus on what they're doing. They have the ability to enter the zone in whatever action they're involved in. Khushur itself, concentration and focus itself is not a guarantee of success. Before that, what is necessary? Iman. سَقَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Then what is it? الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ خُشُور in صَلَاةِ What does it mean by خُشُور in صَلَاةِ? I gave you a definition. That خُشُور includes two components. What are they? حُضُورُ الْقَلْبِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ And along with that, سُكُونُ الْأَطْرَافِ That first of all, حُضُورُ الْقَلْبِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ What does it mean? The presence of the heart in prayer. That the heart is present. It's not distracted. And secondly, the calmness and the stillness of the limbs of the body. How does it work? How does khushur work? Outside in or inside out? Inside out. It begins from where? The heart. So how is it that you show humility and submissiveness to Allah in prayer? Through the focus and the attention of the heart... And that will demonstrate where? On the body. So the whole body will also be involved. Did you do your homework by the way of listening to the lecture? Did anybody listen to the lecture? MashaAllah. I didn't expect you to listen to it yesterday. I didn't ask you to do it by today. But if you did already, MashaAllah. You have time. Of course you have time. Inshallah within a few days as your khushur begins to decline, then... Pick it up again, alright? Listen to that lecture because we constantly need 
motivation, reminder, encouragement. Okay? So make sure you do listen to it. Alright. After khushur in salah, what's the next quality? وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّهُوِ مُعْرِضُونَ Those who turn away from lahu. What is lahu? Useless, unnecessary things that are meaningless, that must be left. That must be dropped. Hmm? It is also said that, I mean, it's, it's closer to this definition, that lahu is basically anything that is not conducive to your goals, meaning to achieving your goals. Anything that will not help you achieve your goals. Rather, it is something that will hinder you from achieving your goals. So for example, you're sitting with somebody, your goal is to spend quality time with your family. Now if constantly your phone is buzzing, ringing, or you have constant interruptions, those interruptions, those phone calls, what are you going to call them? That is lahu. Why? Because it's not letting you achieve your goal. Now for a believer, there's a goal also. What is the goal of the believer? I want to make it to Jannah. I want to earn Allah's pleasure. So anything that kind of distracts you from that purpose, anything that is not helping you in your journey to Allah, what is that essentially? Lahu. What is that? Useless, vain, unnecessary. And if we don't get rid of it, what is it going to do? It's going to fill our lives. It's going to slow us down. It's going to occupy us. And we won't be able to make it to our goals. Now, generally in life also, this is a very, very important quality that we must possess. The ability to avoid distractions. Why? Because if we're not able to avoid distractions, we cannot focus on our work. If we cannot focus on our work, how can we get it done? Now, if you look at the previous ayah, what is that? الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ خُشُور To have khushur in salah, what's the number one step you have to take in your life? What's the biggest change you have to bring in your life? The number one thing, avoid lahu. Because if we indulge in lahu, what's going to happen? We cannot have khushur in salah. It's not possible. Give me examples of lahu. Things that prevent us from concentrating in prayer. What prevents us? If we don't identify what lahu is, how are we going to avoid it? Okay, negative thoughts about people or assumptions that are baseless about other people, you see what happens is that when we're quiet, then our mind, it begins to work. And especially when we're praying, shaitan tells us, udhkur kada, udhkur kada. Remember this, remember this. So if our mind, if our heart is filled with negative thoughts for other people, what are we going to be thinking about in prayer? Check yourself. What thoughts come to your mind in salah? What distracts you in prayer? Did you notice yesterday in the prayers that you performed, what is it that you were fighting against most? What kind of thoughts were you trying to shake away so that you could focus in your prayer? What was bothering you in your prayer? Okay, how much work I have to do because it is exam time. What's the solution to that? That's not lahu by the way. But what's the solution to that? That whatever stress you have in your mind, get it down on paper. And why is it that we're not able to study? Where is my time going? 
How come I haven't done my readings yet? What did I do last week? How come I didn't get my assignments done in time? Where did this term go? Where did the semester go? Why am I falling behind? What is the real issue over here? Lack of time management. And why is it that we're not able to manage our time better? Because you see, we only have limited capacity. One is that most of our time, it goes into fulfilling our desires. What is that desire? I just want to lie down. I don't feel like getting up. And half an hour goes by, you're not sleeping, you're not awake. You're not doing anything. You're just lying down, following your desire. So what happens? That half an hour is lost. It could have been spent in getting ready, getting an early start to the day. Right? So poor time management. And the reason behind that is also indulgence in lahu. What other things come in our salah to distract us? Fantasizing. Okay, that's true. Daydreaming. Just thinking... Wishing, hoping, wondering what's going to happen, how is it going to happen, when is it going to happen, where is it going to happen, with who, and the list goes on. Okay, fears, worries that we may have. Hmm? Like for example, with me, many times it happens that when I'm praying, I wonder, where is my son? What is he doing? What is my daughter doing? Where is she? I hope she's not going downstairs. I hope she's not climbing up the stairs. I hope she doesn't open up the kitchen drawer. I hope she's not in the dishwasher. I hope... You know, like you have these thoughts. I do have these thoughts. These are real fears. And because of that, what happens is that A, you lose concentration in your prayer. And secondly, you speed up your prayer. Because you want to finish it. You're nervous about where your kids are. And that doesn't let you focus in prayer. So recently what I've started doing is, I am praying to Allah Rabbul Alameen. Okay? I have done my best to keep my children safe and secure, and occupied in good things while I'm praying. And when I'm praying to Allah, Allah will take care of them. He will take care of them. He will keep things safe. Inshallah. And believe me, this is such a big relief Because otherwise you're constantly worried. What if this happens and what if that happens? Well, the list of what ifs, it's endless. I mean, the things that can potentially go wrong, there's so many. I mean, this fear, who does it come from? Shaitan. Shaitan wants us to be afraid. He wants us to be worried. He wants us to be stressed out. And in salah also, he doesn't leave us. So at that time, just remind yourself, I have done my best to get everything done. I have done my best to keep the house safe, to keep my kids safe. Now that I'm praying, I'm talking to Allah Rabbul Alameen, He will take care of my children. I don't need to stress out. I don't need to worry. And Alhamdulillah, this is very helpful. Any other distraction? That we start comparing our salah with those who are around us, or we start thinking if our salah is good enough in front of them. So we think, is my rakur proper? It should be. I think it is. My sujood, was it long enough? Did I move too fast? Did I move properly? And then we start talking to ourselves. At that time, remind yourself, I am not praying for them. I am praying for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember that if you shorten your prayer because of people, that is also a form of riya. That is also a form of showing off. Your prayer got affected because of who? Other than Allah. You're trying to please them. You're trying to satisfy them. That is also a form of riya. So never shorten, lengthen, change your prayer because of the people who are around. 
when you're hungry. Yeah? That's very true. You are distracted. And this is why in hadith, what do we learn? That if the food is ready, then eat first and then pray. Eat first. Don't start prayer with a hungry stomach, with the food ready at the table, getting cold. That pizza getting cold and that cheese that was all nice and melted is now cooling down, getting rubbery, and you're having you know, these feelings in your heart that you wish you could have eaten first. You can eat first. You know Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu? Who is he? A sahabi. He would sometimes be eating and the adhan would go on. He wouldn't stop his food. He would continue eating. The adhan would end. The aqama would begin. Iqama would end. Salah would begin. The tilawa, he could hear it. He would finish his food and then go. He would finish his food and then go. Because it's not possible for us that in the middle of our food or when we're hungry, we stop our food and we go pray. We cannot focus on prayer. If the oven is on or if the stove is on and you start your prayer at that time, there goes your prayer. Why? Because you're constantly wondering, did I put it on low or medium low or high? Is the temperature right? Has it been 50 minutes yet? I wonder what's going on. So make sure you take care of these things before you pray. Many times it happens that as soon as you begin your prayer, the list of things that you have to do, you know, you start making it basically in your head. Right? So make a habit of getting it down on paper. Be more organized, you see? This is why if you want to make your salah proper, what will happen? Your life will also get fixed. It will. I mean, the problems that we're having in life, those fears and anxieties, they come up in prayer. So, first of all, prayer is for the purpose of seeking help from Allah. إِسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ So instead of stressing out about the problem, what should we do? Pour out our heart before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or for example, you start with your takbir and you're reading your dua and you're thinking, what surah am I going to read? What surah am I going to read? And then in that, you're thinking about what surah am I going to read in my next rakah? You see, this is a very important thing. Having present moment awareness. Being in the present. This is a very, very important life skill. That whatever we are doing, now at this very moment, we're thinking about that. We're doing that. All of our energy, our mind, our focus is attentive towards what? The present moment. The now. Alright, so... الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ Now give me examples of لَغْوِ Things that occupy our lives, our mind, that we can easily get rid of, things that should be in the background, things that we should not be paying much attention to, generally in life, that should not be consuming us. Two people gave the example of TV shows, movies. You see, when it comes to, for example, watching TV, I don't know about you, But if I ever watch an episode of something, then what happens? What's going to happen next? Whether it is some cooking show or anything, whatever it may be, it's on your mind what's going to happen next. So any kind of drama, serial, whatever it is, it stays on your mind. And it's amazing how people are sitting together watching something and then everybody's just quiet because they're so sad or they're so worried. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? And if you think about it, does it even matter? Does it even matter? 40 minutes an episode. 
one hour an episode. More than that sometimes. I mean, it's understandable that every now and then or once a month or something, you need to just unwind and you sit with your family and you watch something. That's acceptable. But if you're waiting for that next episode to come every week, and in the middle you're thinking what's going to happen and you're checking online also, what do other people say about it? Or because we're watching previous season shows, we want to know what's going on in this season. See how it occupies us? It takes a place in our heart. We become sad or we become happy or we become excited or we become afraid. You know, next time you're watching something, just put your hand on your heart and feel it. Does it affect your heartbeat at all, what you're watching? It does. Because you're feeling all those emotions. I mean, I'm sure they spent a lot of time making that, right? Because they want to captivate you as much as they can. So, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ And you see, what is it that will take our interest away from all of these things? Because one is that somebody tells us, turn that TV off, turn that TV off. And the other is that you yourself are not interested. You yourself don't want to watch. This is where we want to be, right? That that temptation is not there. Or that temptation is easy to control. How do you get there? How is it that you lose interest in these things? How? Fill your time with something better. Fill your time with something that will make you truly happy. Because you know what? Watching that episode on TV is not going to make you happy. Because for instance, if you look at people who are working in like multi-million companies and you're wondering, I wish I could do that too. Hmm? Or for instance, you see someone dressed up in a really nice way and you're like, I wish I could wear that skirt too, but can't. Not halal. It's not possible that we watch something over and over again and we don't want to do it. We want to do it, right? But we know we cannot do it. We shouldn't do it. So then what happens? You're unhappy inside. And then you see people in love or people fighting or people working and people making a lot of money and people flying on private jets and people, you know, doing this and doing that. And you wonder, poor me. It's not going to make you happy. Never. So fill your time with something that is more productive. If you find yourself wanting to watch TV in the evening, for instance, then you know what? You have a very long evening. You need to do something in that evening that will truly make you happy. And you see, there's so much treasure out there of beneficial knowledge also, but when it comes to learning that, we say we have no time. You know, for example, Sheikh Yasir Qadi, he has taught the seerah of the Prophet All of these videos are on YouTube, free. And they are beautiful, beautiful. I mean, recently I was listening to the lectures on the journey of Isra and Mi'raj, and there were at least three or four sessions on that. And each session is like a little over an hour. Beautiful. It's like as if you're going on that journey. He goes in so much detail. And if you want to watch that, if you want to listen to that, then of course you need to make time for it. When you'll make time for beneficial things and all these useless things, what will happen to them? You'll get rid of them. So, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّهْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِلزَّكَاةِ فَاعِلُونَ Constantly cleaning themselves, being charitable. Alright, so how did the Prophet ﷺ give sadaqah? How did he give charity? Assalamualaikum. Uh, King Najashi once gave uh, the Prophet ﷺ a gift of a ring, I think was in it, and he gave it to his granddaughter, Umama. That once the Prophet ﷺ was given a, a ring that was made of gold, 
And the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't keep it, rather he gave it to his granddaughter. So what do we learn from this? How can we give sadaqah? Or how can we spend on those who are around us? How can we apply this in our life? What lesson do we learn? There could be something that has a lot of value that is sitting with you, that you don't use, cannot use. Like the gold ring, the Prophet ﷺ himself was not going to wear. Why? Because gold is haram for men. So instead of keeping it, oh, Najashi sent it. The king of Abyssinia sent it. You know, I'll keep it as a, what is it? A memento. Okay, you know, like a souvenir or something. I'll just keep it. No, the Prophet ﷺ didn't keep it. Right there and then, a little girl, his granddaughter was nearby, he gave it to her. I was just thinking when I first read this, how happy that little girl must have been. That she gets a ring from her grandfather and a ring that is shiny. And that is precious, that has value. Bringing a smile to a child's face, making them happy by giving them something that truly has value. You know, we intend, for example, in the morning, today I'm going to give sadaqah. Alright? And we have this glorious image in our mind that I'm going to give sadaqah in this way. And it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, don't go back home with that money. Give it. Give it to something else, someone else, in some other cause. But don't delay. The Prophet Muhammad wasallam he would give charity, like, um, for example, if you bought something from somebody, he would give it back to the seller. He would give it back to the seller. I thought that was really amazing because nobody does that nowadays. If anything, they'll say, where's my change? Like, even if it's five cents. So I thought that was really amazing. And one example was he bought a camel from Umar, radiallahu anhu, and he gave it to his son, Abdullah ibn Umar. So I thought that was really amazing. What's the lesson in this for us? Surprise people. Surprise people by doing something that they never expected. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, when I was doing my research yesterday, I saw that there was a story where um, there was somebody who was kind of leaning towards accepting Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ gave him some of the, you know, the war booty. And uh, the man went back to his people and he said, you should all accept Islam because the Prophet ﷺ, he has no fear of poverty. Yes. That's so much he gave. Hundred camels or, you know, whole flock to one individual even. He gave so much, so much that people were amazed. They had never seen any example of such generosity before. It's not about Prophet Sallallahu stories, but it's just since we have listened so many of stories from him, I just wanted to talk about the recent project we have at Al-Huda. And uh, inshallah, I was thinking like, mashallah, only... This class, we have 300 registered students. And the new project we have here at Al-Huda is uh, uh, we are making a nice uh, playground for our elementary school. The cost is between fifteen and $20,000. And 15000 means like 300 students. If we, every single student just managed to contribute $50, and it's not only like one person has to donate $50, you can bring four or five friends with you and um, get $10 from each friend and bring $50 in. And we don't have to go anywhere. Nobody else would need to, which in even one single dollar, inshallah, we can wholly sponsor the whole project, inshallah. inshallah. So it was just coming to my mind. So just, uh, you know, make intention that inshallah, I'll bring in $50. You don't individually have to put $50. Just make other people involved in this project, and inshallah, you'll get the khair. You get the reward for the other people's um, contribution and you have 
inshallah get the khair from reward for your own contribution inshallah jazakumullah khair jazakallahu khairan kathira that is a very good idea so walladhina hum lizakati fa'ilun walladhina hum lifurujihim hafizun those who guard their private parts illa ala azwajihim aw ma malakat aymanuhum fa innahum ghayru malumin faman ibtagha wara'a dhalik fa ulaika humul adun walladhina hum li amanatihim wa ahdihim ra'un what does this mean those who are attentive to their trusts and their promises meaning they fulfill their promises their trusts their commitments what's the difference between amanat and ahd what is amana that which is given to you what is an ahd that which you take on yourself walladhina hum ala salawatihim yuhafizun those who guard their prayers what does it mean by guarding the prayer praying at the right time what does that mean that for each prayer is a window praying within that window not after it not before it because of our convenience but rather at the right time what else is included in guarding the prayer performing all of the salawat not that a person you know skips fajr and then prays zuhur asr and then leaves maghrib and then isha they're too tired this is not guarding the prayer all the prerequisites are fulfilled so guarding the wudu for example if a person does not care about performing wudu or he doesn't think about if he really has wudu or not before the prayer he says you know never mind it's okay don't think about it and he just prays anyway is that guarding the prayer no likewise if a person thinks oh i can't be bothered which direction the qibla is in i'll just pray this way that's not guarding the prayer prerequisites also must be fulfilled during the prayer also we have to guard the prayer how don't let shaitan rule the prayer Don't let shaitan take over. Guard it. Preserve it. Perform it. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ Those are the inheritors. الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ They're the ones who will inherit Firdaus and they will abide therein eternally. There is a hadith in Ibn Majah in which we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said, there is not one among you who does not have two homes. A home in Jannah and a home in hell. Meaning each person has a destination in Jannah and a destination in hell. Booked, reserved from now for each individual. Either a person will make it to that destination in hell, وَالْعِيَادُ بِاللَّهِ Or he will end up in that destination in Jannah. The Prophet ﷺ said, if he dies and enters hell, then the people of paradise will inherit his home. You understand? That for each person a place is reserved in Jannah. If he doesn't make it there, then that place is going to be unoccupied? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make that place for who? He will give it to other occupants of Jannah. So this way, they become the heirs of Jannah. You understand? Because some people who don't make it, those places will be taken by those who made it to Jannah. الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, he said something about the five levels of performing the prayer. Because 
twice in these verses, salah is mentioned. Guarding the prayer, performing it with khushur, with concentration. So there are five levels of performing the prayer. He said all people with regard to their performance of prayer are in five levels. Let's check ourselves. Okay, each person must think about themselves. The first level is of the one who is negligent and wrongs his soul. How does he pray? He is the one who falls short in performing wudu properly. What does that mean? That when they're performing wudu, the elbow is all dry, who cares? The face is not washed properly, I don't mind. The feet are not washed properly. Parts of it are left dry, unwashed. This is what? Not performing the wudu properly. He is the one who falls short. Secondly, in performing the prayer upon its time and within its specified time. And thirdly, in fulfilling the essential pillars of prayer. So basically every aspect of prayer, he's falling short in it. Either all or some. So this is where we need to look at ourselves. Do I take care of my wudu? Do I take care about the time of salah? Do I take care about the actual salah? How I am performing it? If I am falling short in any of these matters, then who am I? Who am I? The one who is negligent and the one who is wronging their soul. Then the second level is of the one who guards his prayer. How? Upon their proper times and within their specified limits. He fulfills their essential pillars, performs the wudu with care. However, his striving is wasted. Why? Because of the whispering of shaitan during the prayer. His thoughts, they take him away from his prayer. Shaitan takes him away from his prayer. So you understand the difference over here? The first is that a person is not even doing wudu properly. Or not even performing salah on time. Not even performing salah properly. The second level is of the one who is doing wudu properly, facing the qibla, performing the salah properly. The method is right, everything is right. The physical prayer is there. However, where is the heart? Where is the heart? Somewhere else. So his salah is stolen from him. The third is the one who guards his prayer within the specified limits, fulfills their essential pillars, and strives with himself to repel the whispering. So his salah is a constant battle. What does that mean? That every few minutes he's forcing himself to pay attention to prayer. What's the difference from the previous? The previous doesn't care. No khushur, never mind. Wow, I just finished my prayer? What did I pray? Did I pray four rakah or two rakah? The third level is of who? The one who is constantly fighting. Constantly fighting against the shaitan, against his thoughts. So what happens? His salah Of course, it's good in the sense that he has performed everything. However, he hasn't enjoyed the prayer. Why did he not enjoy the prayer? Because it was a constant struggle. Then the fourth level is of the one who stands for the prayer, completes and perfects its due rights, its essential pillars, performs it within its specified limits, and his heart becomes engrossed in performing the salah properly, so that nothing is wasted from it. So in other words, this person has some kind of control over khushur in salah. You understand? He has developed the habit of khushur in salah. And this is good. But his whole concern is directed towards 
performing the salah. So his focus is on who? Himself basically. You understand what's going on here? He's doing everything right. But his focus is on himself. Which is still good. But there is a better level. Which is the fifth level. And what is that? The one who stands for prayer, like the one mentioned above, but on top of this, he has taken and placed his heart in front of his Lord. So in other words, his focus is on who? Allah Azza wa Jal. Remember when Jibreel asked the Prophet ﷺ, what is Ihsan? What did the Prophet ﷺ say? أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهُ This is the highest level, the level of excellence. When you're doing any act of worship, that you are worshiping as though you see Allah. All your focus, your attention is directed to who? Allah Azza wa Jal. And if a person cannot do this, then what's the level below that? What's the level below that? What did the Prophet ﷺ say? That if you cannot do that, then at least you think that He is watching you. So this is why you're performing the prayer properly. Ibn Qayyim said the first type will be punished. The first type will be punished. Who? The one who doesn't care about the prayer. He doesn't perform it at its right time. The second type will be held to account. Meaning he will be questioned. Who will be questioned? The one whose heart is distracted in the prayer. He's absent-minded in prayer. The third will have his sins and shortcomings forgiven. Why? Because he's struggling. The fourth will be rewarded. Why? Because he has khushur. And the fifth will be close to his Lord. The fifth will be close to his Lord. He will be among the muqarrabun, those who are drawn near to Allah. Why? Because for him, his prayer will become a source of comfort and joy and pleasure. And the one who finds comfort in prayer, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him a comfort for others also. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also is pleased with this person. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those. But this is a question that we really need to ask ourselves over and over again. What kind of prayer did I just perform? Which level? First, second, third, fourth, or fifth? Mark yourself. Check yourself. Question yourself. Because unless and until we ask ourselves, we cannot improve.